Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving. The Confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250. The Apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500. The Reformer, $100 monthly, or an annual gift of $1,000. And The Patron, $200 monthly, or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the support donate page at issuesetc.org and look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses or call Lynn 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Reformation Club. travel the path from the Roman Catholic Church to Lutheran theology, look back on the Roman Catholic Church, they remember a lot of liturgy, a very strict morality, a very strict sacramental system. But what if your experience with Roman Catholicism was more insipid, more bland, more flavorless, not so much traditional mass, but folk masses and little theology? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's Issues Etc. Reformation Week. Our theme is Paths to Lutheranism. Eric Anderson joins us to talk about his path from Roman Catholicism. He's a former Roman Catholic and pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Summit, Illinois, and Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Hodgkins, Illinois. Pastor Anderson, welcome. Thanks for having me. So you say, having been a former Roman Catholic, you will never go back. What do you mean? Yeah, I mean, so, my path to confessional Lutheranism was kind of roundabout, and, uh, you know, I kind of fell into it in, in some ways. But despite that, I, I have uh, no desire to return to the Roman Catholic Church, and sometimes you stumble into something that's really great. And uh, I thank God and, and my wife and all of those who kind of brought me along this path. We have the treasure of the gospel, the certainty of faith, and that is absolutely priceless. I mean, there is so much in this world that you could worry about. Of course, Jesus says, you know, do not worry, but there's plenty that's out of our control and plenty of things, plenty of unknowns, plenty of uncertainties, and the gospel is not one of those things. Christ shed his blood for us, and I mean, if there's one thing we don't need to doubt, it is the fact that God loves us for the sake of Christ, and we are covered in his blood and his righteousness. And so, whatever else there may be to question or to worry about, the love of God is not one of them. How would you describe your early exposure to the Roman Catholic Church? Yeah, we were raised kind of nominally Catholic, Christmas and Easter, you know, most of the time, except I was more interested in opening up gifts on Christmas. So I would, you know, drag my feet knowing that if we came a little bit late to church that, you know, it'd be standing room only and, you know, my family might turn around. And we did a couple of times. So we did go to church, at least on occasion. I went through the the CCD program, except for third grade when I convinced my mom somehow to talk the nun out of letting me go that year because I just 
didn't want to or whatever. I was lazy. <laughs> but I did have, I would say, a, you know, a sense of awe and wonder going to sacred space, you know, going to the, the church building and sort of an inclination, you know, theologically respect for scripture. But we weren't at all very active or devout by any by any stretch. So it was a fairly casual, loose relationship, I would say, growing up. What do you remember about it? What are your childhood memories of being Roman Catholic? Yeah, I mean, when we would go to church, it was kind of folk masses, somebody with a guitar leading leading the congregation and singing. It's kind of funny, you know, my kids and I think any good Lutheran knows, you know, the typical Sunday school answer is Jesus. And, and that's not a bad answer. I mean, you know, if you start there, you, you're probably in, in a good spot. But my experience, it was a little bit more all over the map. I mean, we, we were taught about the Holy Family and probably spent as much time talking about Joseph, about whom very little is recorded in Scripture. And, and certainly there was an emphasis on Mary and the Rosary and the Saints. And, you know, they didn't totally exclude Jesus, but, uh, you know, he was there, um, you know, as maybe one among many things. Um, you know, we we were taught to to confess, and and actually we were required to go to confession. I think that was a part of mostly CCD. You know, when you would go for your your weekly instruction, they would every maybe I don't know if it was once a year or maybe every you know semi annually or something. We were actually required to go into the sacristy and meet face to face with the priest. There weren't confessionals. It wasn't the, the box, at least in my parish. And we were supposed to confess our sins and, you know, sort of be the penitent. Um, I, I remember, you know, I, I sort of, you know, I, I thought hard, okay, well, what can I confess? And, and that kind of became my standard go-to confession every time I went in. We lived on a hill growing up and um, had a basketball net. I had two younger brothers. I wasn't very good at basketball, no career as a, a pro ball player or anything like that. And inevitably, I'd miss the shot or the free throw, and, and then I'd kick the ball down the street and make one of my younger brothers go get it. And that became my stock confession. I think the priest <laughs> he saw me coming to like, oh, great, here comes the basketball kid again. And so it, it wasn't at all this devout, sorrowful, penitential confession. Certainly didn't do a whole lot to develop any spiritual maturity, but it, it was something that we had to do. So that was one of my, you know, maybe most poignant memories from my time in the Roman Catholic Church. You say there's a really common misconception you mentioned before that when liturgical Lutherans are being accused of being too Catholic, that's a really a misconception. Catholics aren't all that Catholic when it comes to the liturgy sometimes. Yeah, I mean, at least in my experience, I think, you know, I show up at my first call and I'm, you know, we're in a chasuble and um, we're chanting and, you know, we didn't have incense. But, uh, I mean, the, the, this, the way that I, I preach and teach and conduct the liturgy, I would often get, well, that's just too Catholic or, you know, that's just, you know, the Catholic, the latent Catholic in you. <laughs> you know, this is a relic of, of your past and that's why you're drawn to these things. And at least for me, that couldn't be any further from the truth. Like I said, we had sort of folk masses and there wasn't high liturgy and incense in my experience. I think sometimes we would go to church and the readings might not even be from, maybe it was apocryphal, I don't know, but it didn't, 
always seemed like there was a lot of liturgical, biblical content. Another sort of memory I have, and, and this was actually when I was at seminary, came back to visit my family and attended church with my grandparents, and I remember the priest's sermon. This is one of the most memorable sermons I've ever heard, Lutheran, Catholic, or otherwise, and not necessarily for a good reason. I remember the priest got up and, you know, he started talking about how he was at the physical therapist and he, he then he went to the gym and he met somebody there and, you know, the guy was asking how his heart medication was going and what he was doing and, you know, what his plans for the day were. And I just assumed this was his friendly way of introducing the sermon or something. But after talking for maybe seven or eight minutes about his health history and what he did at the gym, he he sat down <laughs> and that was the sermon. I don't want to suggest that, you know, all Roman Catholic churches practice this way or all of their priests preach that way. But, um, you know, again, that, that wasn't sort of unusual in, in my experience. And so when somebody comes and sees how I conduct the liturgy or the vestments I wear or how I preach or just the way the service goes, that really, in truth, couldn't be any more different from what I was exposed to growing up. So it, it wasn't me just being nostalgic for Roman Catholic traditions. When did your journey to confessional Lutheranism, how did it begin? Again, I, I really had, um, I think, an appreciation for the importance of the church I wasn't raised in a family where, I mean, there was no antagonism to the church, just the sort of cultural hostility we see toward Christianity today. That really wasn't part of my experience, either in my family or even the, my childhood. So I, I knew that, you know, going to church was important and probably felt guilty that we weren't at church every Sunday. And so anyway, I, I would say the turn toward Lutheranism came via my wife and, you know, meeting her and her and her family were very active in, in their church. And so when we started dating, I was 15 years old, we were in high school, it was only natural that I, I started attending church with her. And the pastor of that congregation, Stephen Lang, was really an early mentor of mine. He ended up confirming me. I, I'd say I probably was maybe about 15 when I first started attending, you know, Living Word in Orland Park. And then was confirmed in 2000, so probably 19, almost 20 years old by that point when I became Lutheran. So there were about five years of attending that church and learning and being catechized by him. And that was really kind of the beginning of my path to confessional Lutheranism. You said there was a second turning point. What was that? Yeah, so that was kind of what got me going on the path toward Lutheranism you know, I, I was quite active and involved in in the congregation. They hired me to, you know, be a part of their music program. And again, Pastor Stephen Lang had encouraged me as we started talking more and more about theology. And I remember even during my, my confirmation classes with him, my catechism classes with him, at one point, you know, I, I just had lots and lots of questions. And he said, you know, maybe you should just go to the seminary. They can sort of answer all of your questions there. And of course, I have more questions probably now than answers. You know, Lutherans aren't necessarily known for knowing everything. We, we shouldn't be. We are God. We don't know everything. But that's one of the great things about our theology is confessing the limits of what we can and can't know and the fact that we aren't God. I ended up going to Concordia in Chicago and met a professor there, Brian Moseman, who really was 
highly influential in terms of bringing me along just from sort of being a Lutheran and uh, being active and involved in the church down the path of confessional Lutheranism. At that time, I was heavily involved in praise music and praise bands. I'd started a music program at that congregation. I was their minister of music. And so I had a lot at stake in, in this, and I, you know, I was a music major in college, and so you know, I was sort of I, I found the transition away from music and into theology very natural because I was using my musical gifts in service to the church, and I, I really enjoyed that. Well, you know, I ran into <laughs> Brian Moseman at Concordia. And he he challenged me. I mean, he gave us, uh, I remember there's that, uh, I don't know, it was published in maybe the early 2000s, Lutheran Worship History and Practice, this big red book collection of essays. There was one in there by Art Juss on, I don't even know, what, it was like the first essay in the book. It was assigned reading. And I remember reading this and just being sort of knocked over by what it was saying and I mean, there's probably more notes in the margins and markings, me reading this thing and writing, you know, yelling at him in the in the margins, making my comments and just sort of being challenged by every single thing he would say. And then for Mosman and all the other students in the class, I'd get there and just unload. And to Pastor Mosman's credit, he just sort of listened to all of my questions and objections and responded patiently, calmly. I mean, that class, I probably derailed like 90% of his lessons plans because it was just essentially me arguing with him and with what we read and, you know, what, what Just and sort of the other resources we were reading and studying were saying. I guess maybe kind of like a Jacob wrestling with God, you know, Genesis 32, and uh, really just struggling with this, not wanting to give up on it, but also not being able to, you know, resist the beauty of our theology and our confessions. And that sort of marked a significant turning point. Okay, this is what it means to be a Lutheran with confessional integrity. It's not just sort of believing the chief parts, that's critical, that's foundational, but how that manifests itself, our practice, that is just as much a reflection of our doctrine and critical as knowing the commandments. Pastor Eric Anderson is our guest. We're talking about his path to Lutheranism from Roman Catholicism. We'll discuss his seminary experience next. In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings. Luther responded, Unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc., Find out the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Click the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation. Scripture, faith, grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand, Issues Etc. and you.
when a 2018 fire nearly destroyed Milwaukee's historic Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church, we got to work, but continued to give the gifts Christ freely gives to his saints here in Milwaukee as we have since 1847. We are nearly two-thirds of the way to completion on this historic restoration, but we need help to finish this work. Will you join us? Please consider joining us. Visit trinitymilwaukee.org for more information. And as pastor, I can't wait to welcome you home to Trinity. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Augsburg Lutheran, Shawnee, Kansas. Emmanuel Lutheran, Dearborn, Michigan. Grace Lutheran, Elgin, Texas. Emmanuel Lutheran, Hamilton, Ohio. Messiah Lutheran, Lebanon, Illinois. Our Savior Lutheran, Winchester, Virginia. Redeemer Lutheran, Scottsdale, Arizona. St. John Lutheran, Ray, Michigan, St. Paul Lutheran, Parkersburg, West Virginia, and Trinity Lutheran, San Bernardino, California. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast at our website, and in the Issues Etc. Journal. We're talking with Pastor Eric Anderson, a former Roman Catholic and pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Summit, Illinois, and Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Hodgkins, Illinois, about his path to Lutheranism from Roman Catholicism. Eric, what was your seminary experience like? It sounds like it was kind of mixed. Yeah, it really was. I treasure my time at Concordia St. Louis and had some wonderful professors. I learned Greek and Hebrew very well and have fond memories of of that. But I'd say that what I learned in classes and the things that I read like from a historical and systematic theology standpoint, it was less confessionally Lutheran and maybe more skewed toward modern American evangelicalism. So I remember reading Bill Hybels and Rick Warren and Rob Bell, and that was kind of standard material in, in many of my classes. I had never even heard of Hermann Sasse or Wilhelm Lea. Of course, I'd heard of Luther. <laughs> Hard to be a Lutheran and not do that. But I think, you know, maybe once or twice there was some assigned reading for Luther, just not very much of that. So most of what I got in, in my classes was, you know, it was either sort of we're reading Hebrew, we're reading Greek, we're translating, we're studying the text, we're doing biblical theology. And then, you know, there was kind of a little less emphasis on, okay, what does confessional Lutheran theology say about these things and how do we read the Bible? And, and again, how does this manifest itself in practice? There was sort of a disconnect there. And I think trying to think back and how did my some of my professors let this happen or why did they do that? And I really think maybe many of them had just 
been so inundated with Pieper and Walther and Luther and confessional Lutheran theology, and they maybe they just assumed there was more of a baseline, and maybe there is for most you know seminary students. Again, I come from a Roman Catholic tradition and didn't have the benefit of being exposed to all of that much prior to seminary, apart from you know those classes with Mosman. So I think maybe some things were assumed and there was just not as much emphasis on getting into sort of the confessional Lutheran resources that we have, which really are a treasure. Field work. So you have your classroom component at seminary. And then you have these sort of immersive, you know, sort of internship or practical, practicum sort of things that would be, you know, the the one-year vicarage where you're... At least in my case, I was treated almost as an associate pastor. This was a 5,000-member congregation in in Michigan. And just as they had assigned me to this congregation, they had three pastors on their staff, and two of the associates had taken calls right before I showed up. So I, I preached every single week. I was assigned to this postmodern worship experience thing in the gym where there were, you know, praise bands and keyboards and screens. And for my first sermon and again I preached weekly but just to give your you know you a flavor of what that was like there were no robes and vestments or anything like that and so I actually conducted my first service this was in again a suburb of Detroit and so I came out wearing a Red Wings jersey and and I preached in that and it it had some thematic tie into whatever it was I was preaching on the psalms or something but again there there was very little to help me understand and appreciate the Lutheran liturgy and confessions. Uh, one of the most th- striking memories I have of that experience was being told forbidden, really, from not only do we not use the liturgy, but anything that seems churchy, like the benediction. I mean, I, I actually got yelled at by, it wasn't my supervisor to his credit, but one of the leaders in that service because, you know, I was just kind of there to preach and they all kind of ran the show. And uh, they they didn't like the benediction. That sounded too churchy. I was told we couldn't pray the Lord's Prayer because the keyboard player had had a negative experience in another church. Maybe it was more liturgical, traditional. And the Lord's Prayer gave her PTSD and she actually left the service crying one, one week when it was said prior to my arrival. So, Needless to say, they they did things rather differently there. What happened there wouldn't really be, um, I don't think an outsider would look at that and say that that looks confessionally Lutheran in in any sense. And my fieldwork congregation was was similar. Again, kind of an outstanding memory from that time was this was a a 5,000-member congregation in the greater St. Louis area. And the pastor, I remember one Sunday, was he was preaching, and um, he would often get on denominational issues and, and gripes maybe about the synod and things like this. He asked the congregation, show of hands, how many of you know what Lutheran is? And I don't know, maybe half the hands went up or something. And then he said, and, and how many of you know what Missouri Synod is? And like... Uh, you could count on like maybe a dozen people's hands stayed up. So there, there were very few people who had any idea what Missouri Synod was. And referencing back to my early experience as a Lutheran, I, I didn't really know. You know, my wife, when we were dating at the time, said, you know, well, we're Missouri Synod. And I'm like, Synod? What's that? What Missouri? We're not, we're not in St. Louis. We were in Chicago. 
But the pastor, my fieldwork pastor, was, was sort of proud of the fact that very few people knew what Missouri was. They certainly did things in a way to intentionally distance themselves. They've taken, you know, Missouri off of their signs and out of their name and that. And I, I think they're still a part of the Synod. He, he was uh, much more interested in we're sort of a, a welcoming, we, we want to sort of be a place that attracts as many people as possible. And to his credit, I, I think he has good intentions and had good intentions and a desire to, to share the gospel. And I think it's fair to say that he saw our theology and, and certainly the, the practice of our confessions as being a stumbling block or a hindrance to evangelism. We're talking with Pastor Eric Anderson about his path from Roman Catholicism to Lutheranism. Sounds like much of his seminary learning Well, much of his learning about confessional Lutheranism was not at seminary, but post-seminary. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we wrap up our adventure in Acts with shipwreck, events on Malta, Paul arrives in Rome, and Paul preaches the gospel in Rome, and then we dive back into Genesis with Genealogy of Seth. Join me. Pastor Will Whedon, for the word of the Lord endures forever. Your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or on your favorite podcast provider. Join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 18th through Saturday, January 20th for the 2024 Why for Life Free Conference. Registration is open through December 15th. Learn more at why4life.org. Great events, speakers, and social time. The 2024 Why for Life Free Conference, January 18th through the 20th in Washington, D.C. Why4life.org. Concordia University Chicago invites all high school students to attend the annual Careers for Christ weekend in person on our beautiful campus in River Forest. Careers for Christ is November 3rd through the 5th. You'll have the opportunity to learn about professional church vocations while having fun with CUC staff, faculty, and students. For more information, visit cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four, C. That is cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four, C. Evangelical and Catholic. You're listening to Issues Etc. Christological. My friends, Jesus comes only for sinners. Historical. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by... Sacramental. 
Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ given unto death for your sins. To find a Christological, historical, and sacramental church near you, go to issuesetc.org and click Find a Church. in Mississippi, Jeremy in Texas, Abel in Colorado, and Lisa in Oklahoma for renewing their membership today in the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. It's a group of listeners who financially support this worldwide outreach monthly or annually. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for your confessional Lutheran church. Find out how to become an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the support donate page at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. We're talking about Pastor Eric Anderson's path from Roman Catholicism to Lutheranism. Eric, it sounds like much of your learning about confessional Lutheranism really was remedial and post-seminary. I really had a lot of respect for for what Pastor Mosman taught me at Concordia Chicago. I mean, I can singularly attribute much of my early interest in confessional theology to him. Probably wasn't as friendly and social with some of the pre-seminary students. We had a pre-seminary class at Concordia Chicago of, I don't know, maybe 15 or so. I think I was like one of two or three that went to St. Louis. And everyone else was at Fort Wayne, and I, I don't know. They just, we just didn't, you know, they knew I played guitar and probably didn't like me very much and what I stood for and believed or whatever at that time. And so that almost pushed me further away. But I did have this, you know, interest in learning more and about confessional Lutheran theology. And I was struck, and this is fast forwarding, you know, after my ordination, I had gone to Fort Wayne Symposia, and I was just struck by the, heavily Lutheran culture of that campus at that time and how different it was from my experience at St. Louis. And going to the seminary is an opportunity to, I had asked both field work and vicarage, you know, if I could be assigned to maybe more liturgically minded congregations. I had wanted to get more of that and not more of the same, which is, you know, what ended up happening. And ultimately, I was told that you know, when it comes time for getting calls, you know, you, we, we pastors kind of have our theological resume. <laughs> and if I was a part of some of these megachurch type organizations, that that would make me a more desirable candidate and, uh, you know, help me get a, a better call or something. And so, again, I leave the seminary and still had this unfinished business. I, I had wanted to learn more about our, our confessions. And, um, you know, again, it was maybe kind of this chance meeting or, you know, God directing it or whatever, how I met, you know, my wife and was put on the path of Lutheranism. And something similar happened after I received my first call. Danita Brenner was a member of, of my, my parish in Colorado, Faith in Johnstown. Her son is, is Pastor Heath Curtis. He's been on this program and he's obviously still a pastor and, you know, does some work for the, the Synod too a really good, solid, confessional, faithful Lutheran pastor. And, you know, I met with him for, he, he measured me for vestments and his mom made all of my stuff and gave it to me as ordination gift. So I, I still use that to this day and treasure that. And 
I mean, in like a 20 minute with Heath, as he's measuring me, he's handing me the conduct of the service by Peepcorn and McClellan and in this binder and many resources. Just he gave them to me, said, you know, read this, look at this, do that. And uh, I, I, I have and use those and treasure them to this day. And, you know, in 20 minutes meeting with him, he, he just kind of showed me the way to get a lot of the questions answered that maybe I, I hadn't at the seminary. I'm like, I don't know how to conduct the service. I mean, I had a class in it, but it was very overview and, again, not didn't really get into the, the particulars too much. And so through meeting with him and then there was a really great confession study group in Denver that I had attended and also there was one in Greeley, which was just next door to Johnstown. And so I had the, as a privilege and a blessing to meet with some really good, solid, faithful pastors to study the confessions with them, to get to know them. And uh, they were really encouraging and supportive and uh, I think amused in some ways, you know, of my experience. Like, how did, how did you get out, you know, like this? And, you know, without, I, who is Leah? In many ways learned what it's like not to be a Lutheran, you know, what not to do in some ways. And I made up the rest by, you know, through this studying the confessions and community. I think that's an important corrective that Lutheranism actually has to offer the world today. We're very individualistic, me and Jesus and, you know, personal study, and, and that's good. You know, we, we have our individual devotional practice, but we also have life together. So the, the encountering a vibrant community of confessional Lutherans was really instrumental in terms of furthering me along my path to where I am today. Looking back on your life as a Roman Catholic, kind of the nominal Roman Catholic, and now comparing and contrasting with the theology of confessional Lutheranism, what was missing there? And what have you found, even as a pastor in confessional Lutheranism, coming back to where we began that says, I'll never go back again? Yeah, it, it is the certainty of faith. I mean, uh, I think as the Council of Trent refers to that as the vain faith of heretics. And that's a criticism that I'll wear as a badge of honor. If, you know, having certainty of my salvation, that I am a child of God covered in the blood of Christ, he is my Lord and Savior, you know, I am redeemed, I have no doubt about my eternal salvation, uh, That that's... That's what was lacking and kind of two vivid memories, and these are maybe more recent in recent times that I had, where I see that lacking, not only had that lacking in my experience, but also have witnessed that time and time again with others, you know, not having that certainty and what that does. I remember my grandfather, toward the end of his life, we were Probably it was a Sunday coming back from, you know, we would visit their Catholic church and, uh, you know, we would go with them and kind of see what was going on. And I remember him saying to me that he, or, or maybe asking me, you know, like, well, I, I don't know what happens, you know, where am I going to go when I die? And sort of wondering aloud, you know, about his standing with God. And I mean, I think it was maybe less of a question and more of him just confessing that he knew he didn't measure up and that he didn't and doesn't deserve God's favor or salvation, that it's sort of as we begin our liturgy every Sunday, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. And he knew that sort of instinctively. I mean, natural law, you know, law written on his heart. And unfortunately, you know, he was a, a lifelong Roman Catholic and they they never did anything to disabuse him of that uncertainty. And I remember being struck by how 
how sad that was that even despite my assurances to the contrary, you know, after being preached to for a lifetime that you haven't kept the commandments and you need to sort of earn God's favor. And, you know, if maybe you don't do good enough in this life, you know, you've always got purgatory to sort of make up the difference, pay off whatever additional debt you owe. I mean, for Roman Catholic theology, when Jesus said it is finished, he must not have meant like everything. There, There's still some unpaid debt. There's still some work left to do. And my grandfather was acutely aware that he didn't have it in him to make up that difference. And, you know, I think that's just really profoundly sad that, again, as I said earlier on, there's plenty of in life that you may be unsure about and plenty of things that we could worry about. Knowing where we stand with God shouldn't be one of them. And to put a a fine point on this, I remember only a few years ago attending a funeral mass for the father of a friend of mine, Roman Catholic service. And in that service, I mean, I was a little encouraged. They started off kind of gospely, kind of comforty, saying some nice things. And then it took this turn. And ultimately, the priest in the funeral sermon was sort of speculating about this angry, wrathful God. And, you know, if there's any comfort, well, at least there's purgatory. You know, at least we, you know, we can go and sort of finish the work Christ started. I mean, I was sort of floored, I mean, to hear that preached at the time of death by this Roman Catholic priest. I mean, it's not just in the conscience of the troubled sinner. This is something that they're actively preaching, and I've heard this time and time again. And, you know, my grandfather didn't have that comfort, that assurance, and this priest did a a really poor job of comforting the family of this, my friend's father, at, at the time of his death. Pastor Eric Anderson is a former Roman Catholic and pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Summit, Illinois, and Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Hodgkins, Illinois. Eric, thank you. Thank you, Todd. Issues Etc. Reformation Week continues Thursday. We'll talk with Dr. John Warwick Montgomery about finding Lutheranism in academia. We'll have Sarah St. Ange tell us about her path from Lutheranism to Roman Catholicism and back to Lutheranism. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Would you like to learn about the Reformation theology you hear on Issues Etc.? We'll send you a pamphlet of Luther's small catechism for free. It contains the biblical teachings on the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and Confession and Absolution. Order your free copy of Luther's Small Catechism today. Just send your name and mailing address to talkback at issuesetc.org. Do you want a church with a rockin' band and a sermon series to help you live a better life? It's not here. 
Bethany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights offers authentic, historic Christianity to a world awash in fads and entertainment, and offers forgiveness of sins to people overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Join us Sundays at 9.30 on Old Collinsville Road in Fairview Heights, Illinois, to receive the life-giving gifts of God with us. Find out more online at BethanyLCMS.org. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. This is Jeff Schwartz, General Manager of Lutheran Public Radio, with a message for listeners in the Mountain and Pacific time zones. We pledge to have Issues Etc. podcasts posted daily, no later than 5 p.m. Mountain, 4 p.m. Pacific. This will allow you to download and listen to the latest Issues Etc. podcast weekdays during your evening commute. Again, if you live in the Mountain or Pacific time zone, Download Issues Etc. before you leave work and listen during your drive home. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.